In honor of today's episode, I'm rocking my Oklahoma A&M Aggies 1945 National Championship shirt. And yes, you are hearing all of Sooner Nation right now say, is that Oklahoma State guy really trying to claim that 1945 National Championship? Yes. So why don't you just sit back, relax, get edumacated a bit today while we uh, historically stir the pot. You are locked on Oklahoma State, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma State Cowboys, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, y'all, and hello, all. Welcome back to Locked On, Oklahoma State, your daily stop for all things cowboy and cowgirl-related. My name is Cody Stovall. I want to thank you very much for stopping by to make this your first listen here on Locked On, Oklahoma State. We are available on all of your podcasting platforms as well as visually on YouTube, and you can find me personally at Aldeo State on Twitter. As another bedlam is upon us, we get set to welcome in a lot of the new Big 12 schools, football-wise, we actually get all four of them. So that's going to be pretty cool for us as Oklahoma State fans. But if you're new to the Big 12, maybe you don't know a whole lot about Oklahoma State University. Maybe you don't know a whole lot about Bedlam or why it's relevant, if it's relevant, so on and so forth. Because if you subscribe to the mouth-breathing buffoon himself, Paul Feinbaum, he wants to pretend that things like Bedlam do not matter. Although you can get into TV ratings, semantics, all that fun jazz if you want to. We're not going to do that at the very moment. What we are going to talk about is the introductory to primarily us, but I will dispel some of the myths as to why Oklahoma is or is not considered, quote unquote, big brother in some some areas, right? I might shed some credence to some of it. You never know. So sit tight, oh, you fans. All right, so one thing that they did beat us to, which, well, I, I will admit is a common theme to some degree, is they were founded in 1890 on December 19th. Now, we're the good guys, so we waited till our Lord and Savior's Day on Christmas, December 25th of 1890, before we were sworn in as an official college university. But both of us had strategic goals in mind, right? Then it was all based on the 1862 Moral Act, which granted states the ability to build public colleges and universities in order to fulfill strategic fun- functions like what we're going to get into, land-grant university like Oklahoma State. Our function was to provide agricultural, agricultural and mechanical knowledge, right? Farming, things of that nature. OU, meanwhile, they were designed for more doctors, lawyers, teachers, so on and so forth, right? So they had their own primary function. And yes, they did beat us to, to the punch. But again, you'll see some common themes here. Them beating everybody to the punch is, is actually not all that new. So more affectionately known as the Norman Territorial University, Rough Riders and Boomers, I mean, heck. Yeah, they beat us to it, but they also beat a lot of people probably because, I mean, heck, their whole kit and caboodle is predicated upon being the land thieves, right, who illegally conducted raids 
in the unassigned lands, also known as Indian Territory, just to leverage the safety of others as their argument to then convince the government to allow official settlement of the unassigned lands or what would then become the Oklahoma territories. And they may have used their knowledge of the area because, uh, I don't know, a lot of them work for Santa Fe Railroad Company. You're talking workers, hand managers, and some surveyors like, like an Abner Norman who surveyed the area from 1870 to 1886. They may have known that this territory not only had a railway kind of running through it, but it was also far enough away from Guthrie, which was the official capital at the time, to not cause too much stink about going in early from the 1889 land run. So they snuck out like a thief in the night before the official land run to grab land they knew was far enough away from Guthrie for them to really get in trouble and also had accessible railway to grow the population pretty decently. So basically, you can call them the Oklahoma University cheaters if you wanted to. But that's the thing is, they don't, they don't talk about it. It is what it is. That, that is precisely who they are. And they're proud of it. So let's just help them be educated on what they're so proud of. But again, there's a lot of things they should be proud of. Like they were very ahead of their time when it came to football. Meanwhile, we focused on wrestling because realistically, football was viewed as a barbaric sport. You got to give hats off to OU and a lot of areas, especially when it comes to football. But let's talk specifically more about the Oklahoma State side of things. So we started off officially, obviously, December 25th, 1890, as an agricultural mechanical school. Why that was necessary was because in 1825, the primary source for all of Oklahoma's you know, geographical production was something called King Cotton. And then in 1861, 1862 area, right around the same time as the original Morrill Act, before the second Morrill Act of 1890, there was these fun little pesky things called a boll weevil that traveled up through Mexico and through Texas, and they started destroying everybody's crops. So we then had to turn around and steal somebody by the name of Seymour Knapp, a professor, doctor, who was teaching all of this stuff already up where Iowa State is. And as a matter of fact, from a historical perspective, Iowa State, Kansas State, if you want to hear some of the back and forth there, um, yeah, get, get that argument going. But none, nonetheless, we stole Seaman Knapp from Iowa State University, and he started conducting these little, not, not experiments, but showcases, basically, in parts of Texas, where they would teach people how to take care of the land, what soil to look for, how to take care of it, how to prevent, you know, some of these boll weevils from destroying all of the crops. And then again, obviously the 1890 Morrill Act was what kind of allowed all of this to take place because then it went from you just being able to, you know, build a public university on this land for strategic purposes to the 1890 version of the Morrill Act to now Anybody who'd put in the prerequisites to qualify to end up going to college could do so. So it opened up a lot of things, not only just from a, a segregation type of standpoint, but it allowed the sports era to kind of take shape. And again, football was viewed as a barbaric sport. We knew that going into it, which is why in 1905, when we hired F.A. McCoy, he was more of a player manager type, which there is some commonality in the 1906 
Uh, we hired Boyd Hill to be some sort of an official coach, but he was a young cat. He just graduated from what would then become University of Central Oklahoma in Edmond, Oklahoma. So it didn't really last much long, didn't really do a whole lot for us. And then in 1908, Ed Perry comes on only for a year, but he did, in fact, introduce the idea of coaching multiple sports that I will admit, okay, we did steal from OU because OU had already been doing that. Oklahoma was taking football very seriously. They weren't waiting till 1905 to even bring in a coach. They weren't waiting till 1907 to find a somewhat legitimate coach. They were, uh, they were heavily involved from a very early on. Matter of fact, Oklahoma, they went back to doing their football stuff uh, back to, uh, what, 18, it was 1898 or 1895. That's what it was, 1895, officially. And they started paying coaches in 1898. That's what it was. And then they, they ushered in the era. Um, Vernon Parrington, I believe, was the coach that they had brought in to be their first coach legitimate coach and he did a multitude of things yes it is true they should they should tip their cap a little bit because they did win the first bedlam officially on record 75 to 0 in 1904 um but let's put it into context y'all what they don't really tell you is that was at minerals park in what is guthrie oklahoma and one side of the touchdown air quotes was a creek. The other side for a quote-unquote touchdown was a little bitty crossing of a street. So for OU to score a touchdown, or should I say the Norman Territorial University Rough Riders Boomers to score a touchdown, they had to, in fact, get the ball to a creek. It was a cold day. There's a, there, there's a little story out about the Oklahoma A&M kicker. A punter kicked the ball, and the cold wind took it backwards. There was a mad scramble for the football. They all jumped in the creek. Oh, you happen to have somebody who was a like professional swimmer on the football team. He beat all the Oklahoma State guys to the football. They claimed a touchdown, this and that and the other. There was no sidelines. There was no rules. There was no first downs. It was just a hodgepodge of craziness. Yeah, that's true. But what also is true is OU officially lost their first game ever to a high school in Oklahoma City. 64 to zero or another publication has it like 35 to zero but yeah first bedlam they they beat us up pretty good their first game ever they lost to a flipping fracking high school by almost the same score another fun little fact i will give tidbits for ou is 1907 the sport was about to be canceled because it was viewed again as too too violent too barbaric and there was a game played at Kingfisher College in Kingfisher, Oklahoma, which no longer has a college, but it, it did back then. They played a game in 1907, and it got so out of hand that local sheriffs were, were you know, showing up on horseback to shut it down because they thought it was a massive brawl. And then they had to be explained to them that this is actually not a brawl. This isn't a fight. This is a sport. Even though we had people with, like, metal piping as elbow pads, it's not a war. It's a sport. And then rumor has it that to re-kick the game off, the sheriff from the local county uh, shot off a gun, which we now view as synonymous with a multitude of other sports, you know, starting blocks for, for track and, and so on and so forth. So, again, there's a lot of cool things that OU did, in fact, do that made them uh, ahead of us. We'll, we'll give them that, right? 
But let's keep going on this historical stuff real quick. I do have to let the fine people out here know that bird dog's clothing is the bee's knees. This is not hyperbole. This is not me just saying stuff to be saying stuff. They sent us a package, and I am beyond blown away. I buy athletic shorts pretty much exclusively. And these things put anything I've ever bought way, 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 way out of the water. You can swim in them, walk in them, run in them, jog in them. Do whatever you want. Hey, you could sleep in them. And you can uh, record a show, podcast, drive, whatever. They are that comfortable. They got boxers built in. They have a multitude of different products available. And right now, if you go to birddogs.com, use the promo code Locked On, you can get yourself a free Yeti tumbler with the Bird Dogs logo on top of it. I left it downstairs. I know. Shame of me. But you, you definitely got to get it hooked up because I think something has to be said for somebody that's willing to back their products so much that they just give it to you. They want you to wear it. They want you to feel it. They want you to see it and use it. And then you can explain how good it is. And it goes beyond good, guys. This is so good. Again, this is why I'm calling it the bee's knees of any fabric you could potentially put on your daggone body. Go to birddogs.com, promo code locked on. Get yourself hooked up with whatever they got in store for you to get the tumbler as well. All right. So, again, we've kind of traced back some of the historical t- contacts for Oklahoma State University. We've also thrown in some of the reasons why OU is viewed as ahead of us. They were ahead of us. They were paying coaches before we were. They were university before we were. They had public money before we did. They stole their their homes and their territory way before we did. Like, they did beat us to a lot of things. So if that makes them the de facto big brother, okay, cool. Now you get it, right? Now you get it. And, again, when you want to go back to 1897, 1898, Hats off to Vernon Parrington for getting some stuff going, you know, but they had several coaches that they had paid for years all the way up to a former KU Jayhawk quarterback that also happens to be the stadium bearer for OU and Benny Owen. And when you get to that level and you're talking Benny Owen and then you're, you're allowing it to lead into people like Bud Wilkinson, right? That era. Barry Switzer, that era, our personal favorite, the John Blake era. Nobody forgets about the Bob Stoops era. It's hard to forget about OU's favorite era, the Lincoln-Riley times. (laughs) But just like they have some cool associations, as do we, we focused on wrestling for a long time, which is precisely why we had coaches that did a multitude of things All the way up until, you know, when we had Paul Davis. Paul Davis was a good idea. Um, We we had him from 1909, 1915. He also coached basketball. He also coached baseball. But we got the idea because he was already the AD. But he was already doing that stuff. So, so again, hats off to them. Vernon Parrington, good dude. And then we got a new AD who was somebody by the name of, oh, I don't know, Ed Gallagher who just so happens to be the namesake as part of Galgariba Arena in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He took over for A.M. Colville in 1915 because he saw what it could be. Our first year ever being in a conference as well, so OU was ahead of their time in that. But again, we focus on wrestling. We won nine of the ten first original official Oklahoma or, or NCAA wrestling national titles. And a fun fact, it's funny that OU pretends that nothing but football and softball matter in Norman. 
when the only school that prevented us from winning the first decade straight national titles was OU, they like to pretend that it's it's a non-existent sport. But regardless, um, yeah, dude, they hold a lot of keys. But we won our first football bedlam. In 1917, matter of fact, Bedlam comes from, it was a 1923 or 1925 wrestling match when a reporter ran out of the, the stadium saying that it's absolute Bedlam in there because it was screaming, yelling, hooting, and hollering, people fist fighting left and right. That's what Bedlam was. That's what Bedlam is. So again, for those mouth-breathing buffoons like Paul Feinbaum that want to pretend it doesn't mean anything, there's stats that say you're wrong, but I'm telling you, you're wrong. When we won our first Bedlam in 1917 under Earl Pritchard, OU snuck around and they stole the idea to potentially take the bell clapper because when we won the game, we started ringing the old Central Liberty Bell. So they did, in fact, finally do that. They stole the bell clapper in 1935. We reverted to using a sledgehammer. Talk about your um, Southern ingenuity, if you will and a good way for permanent hearing loss, but who knew back then? We stole the bell clapper back from OU sometime later, but of course they told us that it wasn't the original old central bell clapper that we'd stolen back. The, the, the thing that we had stolen back that we thought was the old central bell clapper was actually a bell clapper from a Norman church that they had torn down, put in, whatever. So in 1966, we struck an agreement to have the original gangster old central bell clapper would then start being the official annual rivalry trophy so for any of you who've ever wondered why bedlam is a in the shape of a bell whether it be the crystal bell or what we have now regardless that's kind of where, where it came from but just like OU, you know the benny owen era led way to the bud wilkinson era the barry switzer era the bob stoops era and even to where we're at now for oklahoma state you got to dig back a little different but we circle back around to 1945 ladies and gentlemen when Jim Lookaball took Oklahoma State from basically obscurity all the way into the early 40s to being somebody, to being undefeated. And yes, the AFCA, American Football Coaches Association, did in fact historically, statistically, dig back through the records and give Oklahoma State the 1945 National Championship because they realized that all of the publications were biased. All of the major publications that did any voting back then was all where, ladies and gentlemen, on the East Coast. You, you think I'm just being partial? Okay, go back statistically. Who won the 1945 Heisman Trophy? It wasn't who it should have been. So if they really want to rewrite the wrongs in the annals of college football history, We'll give up the 1945 national title and we'll take the 1945 Heisman Trophy because Bob Fenimore should have got it. And it's ironic this year, we're going to be bringing back the Bob Fenimore style uniforms that everybody in the country will now get to see. You will get to see the galloping ghost from 1945 almost look alive and well on Boone Pickens Stadium Field today because of the new uniforms. But who won the Heisman in 45? That would be Doc Blanchard, who went to where? Army West Point. Where was all the voting? Oh, that's right. Who was second place in Heisman voting? His backfield mate at also Army West Point, Glenn Davis. Doc Blanchard had 930 yards rushing. Glenn Davis had 722 yards rushing. Well, how about our main man, Bob Fenimore, 
was the number one in the United States of America in total offense with 1,641 yards by him daggone self. Go ahead, chew on that, piece that together for me. So, if you want to say that the 1945 National Championship is a fictitious thing for Oklahoma State University, ha ha ha, you were wrong. Go back and look at the statistics and realize that it was all biased. And we would rather have the rightful Heisman Trophy than the national title. Now, Jim Lookaball deserves the title, so, so again, we're with him. We'll take it. But it took a long time for Oklahoma State University to get to the level we are now. And a lot of that is, is due to Mike Gundy. Right? You can say Pat Jones was somebody instrumental and part of our success. You could say that Bob Simmons reinvigorated some things in 97. You can say that Les Miles, that old school, Dan Campbell, chew your kneecaps off, Brock Martin style dude, led way to Mike Gundy's offensive prowess which led way to Mike Gundy being the head coach at Oklahoma State University, which should now lead way to Oklahoma State University or Oklahoma Agricultural and Mechanical Tigers to strike again and take our rightful place atop of the new Big 12. Did we keep the Tigers acronym? No, we didn't. Probably because, I don't know, we realize there's not very many Tigers running around central Oklahoma. We luckily kept the orange and black because, again, we had a very prominent faculty member. I could not find who. If you could, let me know. That would be great. But I read several, several, several articles. Um, a very prominent faculty member back then that was instrumental in us building it did fancy us and publicly put us out as the Princeton of the Prairie. So we were going to be the Princeton Tigers of the Prairie. Obviously, we got rid of Tigers. We later went to Aggies, right? Now we're affectionately known as the Cowboys, which took hold in 1957, but kind of actually started in 1923 because before then, we were known as the Aggies, right? Farming, awesome, love it. Okay, we'll take it. But in 1923, there was a festival and some students ran into Frank Eaton, who was a legendary cowboy and scout, and, and he fought in a lot of wars. There is some, some stuff out there. A claim to fame that he has is having a quicker draw than Buffalo Bill Cody. Obviously, not confirmed. But there's uh, still a museum around in the Perkins area. You can go check that out. I implore you to do so. If you're a fan of the New Big 12, if you're part of the New Big 12 and you're making a stop in Stillwater, Oklahoma, do some of this stuff. It'll be good for you. Nostalgia is fun. And understanding the historical context behind what is happening, in my opinion, makes it fun. I might be the only one out there that completely gets my kicks by this historical stuff. But I love it. I think it's helpful. I think it's insightful. I think it's beneficial for people to understand and know. And most of all, I like dispelling, dispelling myths that this 1945 national championship is anything but something that we dug up, raised our hand, and said, hey, can we have that? It's not it. And there's a lot of evidence behind that. Um, and then uh, before we get out of here, 
I, I will be uploading, uploading the Justin Southwell show. I uh, had a wonderful time with him on. We got to chopping up about a lot of things, record, predictions, over-unders, uniforms, his time playing wide receiver at Oklahoma State, uh, my time playing wide receiver, and, and, and seeing where the, the film is different as compared to some of the route concepts as we back and forth jump through time. If you saw Robert Allen's recent article about quarterbacks, I did save it for the end because there's not a lot to cover there. It isn't a good article. If you have the ability to go on Pokes Report, check it out. I implore you to do so. But uh, basically what it boiled down to was they want Alan Bowman to be the guy. He does make some plays that are completely mind-blowing, that get you enticed beyond even to some degree, Brandon Whedon, Mason Rudolph style level, but then he also has some head scratching interceptions that revert you back to a little bit of the Spencer Sanders, oh no, not again type of situations. Garrett Rangale, Mr. Consistent, maybe he's not going to wow you. He's not going to you know, blow the charts out of the waters, but he's going to do enough to win you a lot of ball games. And if you're run, rushing for over 4.5, 4.6 yards carry, that could be the right ticket. Gunnar Gundy has been the most surprising in the spring. Zane Flores is ahead of most freshmen we've had for the last few years. All of these things are awesome to kind of visualize a little bit more. So I do implore you guys to go check that out. Uh, tune back in a little bit later as we hit an episode with Justin Southwell. All right, y'all. That's all we got for this one. Let me know in the comments section what you enjoyed. What did I miss? What, what do you want me to cover a little bit more of? Until then, thank you for tuning in to make this your first listen here on Locked On Oklahoma State. All righty, y'all. God bless. Go Pokes. Later.